This is Opinionated. I don't really have a full understanding of it, but that won't stop me from having an opinion. That's why we're here. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. You know, crypto is no longer just about money. It's about culture now. It's like you're thumbing your nose at the process. Part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just the future of money anymore. As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out. I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. (laughs) And just a reminder... Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to Opinionated. I'm Ben Schiller. Today we're going to be talking about Tornado Cash, which is an open source cryptocurrency mixer that in August was sanctioned by the US Treasury Department. And this is a very important case that raises a lot of important issues for freedom and privacy on the internet going forward. So cryptocurrency mixers, in case you don't know, allow people to shield their financial histories, their transaction histories, in this case on the Ethereum blockchain. And to advocates of crypto, they are fundamental to our right to financial privacy, to our right to financial freedom. But to critics of crypto mixers, which protect people's identities, are an example of how crypto wants to live outside the financial system and protect necessarily bad actors. So in this case, the US said that Tornado Cash was being used to launder money from North Korean hackers, which are obviously bad people. But the impact of this sanction seems to be to kind of serve as a dragnet to roll up lots of people who are not necessarily bad actors. Particularly, this is what we're going to talk about today, a developer based in the Netherlands called Alexei Pertsev, who's 29 years old and had a hand in developing the Tornado Cash mixer, and he was arrested recently for, quote, his involvement in concealing criminal financial flows and facilitating money laundering through the service. Now, it might seem that Tornado Cash is a relatively small bore sort of case. It's not a huge sort of innovation, but it does, I think, raise some fundamental questions about privacy and human rights, as I said. And this week, we saw the rather gratifying scene of 50 people in Amsterdam protesting this arrest, which is quite inspiring. Danny, what do you make of this? Seems like a pretty important case. It really is an important case. And it's critical because of the, at least in the US, the free speech implications and the government's ability to sanction or to have oversight over what people write and put out into the world. Because Tornado Cash, like many crypto protocols, is designed to be a piece of code you spin up, put out into the wild, and then it does whatever it does. And you're not necessarily beholden to how people use it, or at least that's the thought. So if the government takes this step to say, no one can utilize this piece of code, they're really making a free speech stance. So regardless of how it's being used, and it is true that according to Chainalysis, at least 23% of transactions going through Tornado Cash are illicit, whatever that means, not necessarily all of North Korean, but a large percentage of that Does the government have a right to monitor how we use just a piece of code that runs itself? So that's one of the big questions here that really has implications for crypto far beyond just Tornado Cash. Right. Anna, what do you think about this? Yeah, I would say that the whole case of trying to sanction a computer code, it might be just another sign that the governments of the world and the US government in particular are not going to tolerate anonymity in crypto in any form. I mean, it's quite clear that there probably were people benefiting from laundering dirty money, the so-called like criminal money through Tornado Cash. But it definitely was either not 
the one developer or not just him. So it's quite random, but it sends a very powerful signal that you better not touch this at all. You better not write this code. You better not use it. You better just, you know, KYC the hell out of yourself and only use whitelisted exchanges. And, you know, God forbid, you don't want the government to see your every step in crypto. You better not. Okay, so we're going to play some recording now that was done by Jack Schickler, who's a Coindesk regulatory reporter based in Belgium, who attended the protest last weekend in Holland and captured this audio. The protest in Amsterdam was really focused on shining a light on this case of Alexei Pertsev. Run the audio, please. And what's your interest in this topic? Well, I don't know that one needs a very specific interest in it because it's a miscarriage of justice, a very clear one. And I think one should be able to abstract enough to realize that this is something that you know someone needs to go and show their outrage, and that's what I'm doing here today. I want more people like Alex working on these these tools for the future, yeah. for the future of DeFi. And this is creating a chilling effect that goes against innovation, that goes against the community. Yeah. Because this is a case of where the fundamental principle of crypto is being questioned, which is whether the code is an expression of free speech, which in my view it is. And it's been you know, resolved in the United States decades ago that it's an expression of free speech. And I think here this principle is being tested. I think the damage is already done and people are afraid and people maybe consider uh, two or three times the way I want to work on this technology, whereas I think that this technology is like so important to have and it's, it's not criminal. This creates a very weird message to any developer out there working in crypto, like, where's the line? What can I work on? I believe that open source code is, uh, is free speech. Uh, yeah, I really feel as a developer as well that this could be any one of us. Alex is just a developer. He's exercising his craft as an engineer. He is not responsible for criminals using his code for doing illicit activity. I think all of their efforts are wrongly targeted. Sort of fairness or justice in society is something that concerns all of us. And when we feel like that is really out of whack, I think yeah. it's you know kind of up to you who else to try and do something about it. Morning, Jack. Hi. Hey, Jack. So, Jack Schickler, you are a CoinDesk regulatory reporter based in Belgium. Tell us about this protest last weekend in Amsterdam. What was the general feeling that you picked up there? So this demonstration was organized by a bunch of largely the developer community in Amsterdam, although there were some people who had flown in from other parts of Europe in support of the Alex Pertsev case. I'd say there's some people who genuinely believe that what's happened to him in terms of legal procedure is wrong. There are other people who say, well, actually, we don't know exactly what he's been accused of. There isn't yet a charge sheet available. We don't know, you know how people will plead and exactly what law he's accused of breaking. And they are a bit more circumspect, but still make the point, which I think is a good one, that you know, this is having a chilling effect on the whole developer ecosystem because it's cast a whole cloud over exactly what you're allowed to do when you're writing open source code and what aren't you allowed to do. And might things that you've done for perfectly innocent and valid reasons come back to haunt you if you're held legally accountable for them weeks or even years later? 
So the developers that you met in the square there in Amsterdam, I mean, were, were they saying, you know, we're not going to be developing this code anymore because we're worried about this sanction? Well, some people certainly expressed that view in general terms. I mean, they didn't say I'm quitting my job tomorrow, but they said, you know, it's going to make people think twice. You know, already open source code involves a bit of volunteerism, a bit of saying I'm, I'm going to do this and put this out there and see what happens to it. There's not always recognition for what you do. There's certainly not always financial reward for it because it's open source. And yet that's the model on which a lot of parts of the internet works. Wikipedia, Linux, lots of different kind of arrangements that work on people giving their time. And it's definitely going to make some people think twice. And, you know, the point I heard quite a lot from different sides of the debate is, you know, it's just really unhelpful not to know what the law is. A, we don't know exactly what law is being applied here, but we don't even know, you know, what are the rules that might apply? What's the stance that public authorities take on this kind of stuff? I heard all kinds of analogies as well. You know, if you sell someone a knife, are you responsible for the use they put to that? If you develop a bit of code in good faith, are you responsible for the use people put to that code when there might be perfectly legitimate uses for that bit of software as well as more malicious ones? I mean, just to be clear, this wasn't a massive protest. It's not like they took over the whole of Holland with this protest. It was about 50 people there, but it was nonetheless so very vigorous and well-supported, right? Sure. I mean, I, I counted about 50 people, which is, it's not huge. Again, this has only been an issue for just over a week. The protest happened on Saturday. The arrest of Alexei Pertsev was only announced eight days before that. So these guys didn't have much time to organize themselves. And I would say there's not a huge amount of general public awareness of this kind of issue. But I suspect that may start to change as the legal case evolves, as it becomes a bit clearer exactly what we're talking about, as some of the kind of protest groups who are really into kind of online freedom start getting involved. So the authorities, they've just detained him without really being clear about the reasons why? Well, all we've got to go on so far is a press release which came out on the 12th of August. He was arrested on the 10th. They announced that fact. I say they, it's the Dutch tax authority who is responsible for money laundering. And their press release says, suspected of involvement in concealing criminal financial flows and facilitating money laundering through the mixing of cryptocurrencies using the Tornado Cash system. That is all we've got to go on. There isn't really anything more than that available in the public domain right now. Because under the Dutch legal process, he's been detained for two weeks. A judge has approved that detention, but he hasn't yet been formally charged with any crime. So we're not yet at the stage when he can mount a legal defense. We might know a bit more after a second hearing is held Wednesday the 24th, but it's not quite clear. It's really interesting that this particular developer was picked because he was not the only Tornado Cash developer, as far as I know. So I wonder if there is an open season on other developers too. It's just their other haven't been located yet or they're in the jurisdictions beyond the reach of US and EU authorities, for example, in Russia. That is a good point. I mean, maybe, maybe the Dutch authority said this is the only guy who's within our jurisdiction and they are taking an unusually bullish approach to this. Maybe there's something we don't yet know about this person's involvement in either direction. As I say, there's a lot of uncertainties. But the press release that was issued by the Dutch authorities seemed pretty clear. This is not the last of it. They said there may be further arrests we're going to make in this case. They said they're particularly interested in the kind of people who are a member of the DAOs, the decentralized autonomous organizations that are responsible for developing this kind of protocol. 
So there's definitely, from their perspective, more to come. We don't know why this particular person, as you say, was picked first, but it's clearly causing a lot of uncertainty, which is quite unhelpful. Now, that's a really interesting point I haven't thought about before, the the legal liability of people in a DAO, because at least in the US, if you're in an LLC, in a corporation set up as a limited liability corporation, individuals aren't liable unless maybe for criminal reasons they are, but they have some level of legal shielding. And if you're in a DAO, at least whatever construct the DAO is using, you probably don't have any legal indemnity or whatever the word is. I think that's the right word. But that's a really interesting point. People in DAOs, are they taking on more legal risk than they otherwise would just because of their involvement in what they think is some crypto collective that is just self-perpetuating? That's a really interesting question. And one thing I often hear from both sides of the crypto regulation debate is, do we need more legal recognition of DAOs? You know, maybe people like being in DAOs because they're in this sort of gray area. They're not a corporation which has legal rights and legal responsibilities. They're a bit more fuzzy than that. But if you're in a legally fuzzy area, yeah, that can have downsides as well as advantages. Because when something goes wrong, as it seems to have now done with Tornado Cash, you're not quite clear what the legal situation is. And in the case of Alexei Pertsev, that has had serious consequences. I should say it's not quite clear to me even whether Alexei Pertsev is in the DAO associated with Tornado Cash or is even whether he's even been accused of that. The field hasn't said that explicitly. A couple of the developers I met on Saturday weren't even sure if he's a member of the DAO. He definitely appears to be involved in, in writing open source code that has been associated with Tornado Cash, but it's not quite clear on what capacity. Hey, this is Eleanor Paul, associate producer at Coindesk Podcast. If you like this show, we'd love to hear from you. Shout us out on your socials or email us at podcast at coindesk.com. Want to hear more crypto news and analysis? Head over to the Coindesk Podcast Network to listen to The Breakdown with NLW as he fuses daily news pieces to build a larger narrative explaining the power shifts in crypto, politics, markets, and more. Or check out the Coindesk Reports feed for Money Reimagined with Sheila Warren and Michael Casey as they explore the connections between finance and human culture with high-profile guests. If you want to hear about crypto, Coindesk has got you covered. Now back to the show. So Jack, what is your sense of whether we're going to see further arrests? Uh, Do you think there are other jurisdictions around Europe that are also kind of gearing up to go after developers in this case? Well, we haven't heard from them. And uh, the Dutch seem to have, you know, the Dutch responded pretty quickly. We saw the announcement from the US OFAC on the 8th of August, which was announcing these sanctions. And this arrest happened just two days later. So the Dutch were pretty quick off the mark. But it's not quite clear what the outcome of that will be. If I was another EU jurisdiction, I wouldn't rush into to getting into this issue because it creates a lot of consternation for a whole community and the legal situation isn't always terribly clear about what's going on here. So the Dutch certainly say, or threatening that they will make more arrests, but perhaps they'll wait and see as well how, how this one case will go first before they rush into that. Do you think that there's any risk of extradition here for Pertsev or is it too soon to tell? That is another really interesting question. They haven't said so. As I say, we don't know what the charge is, so we don't really know. You're not the first person to say that as well. I mean, the timing of this all looks really funny, the fact that it happened 
You know, this is a totally separate jurisdiction to the US. And yet the arrest happened just two days after the US took its decision. So it looks like there's some kind of link between these two cases, the sanctioning that took place in the US and the Dutch authorities deciding that this guy had been committing some kind of illegal acts. But exactly what that link is will only become apparent later in their process. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some kind of link, but in legal terms, we just don't know. I wonder if for the community and for people who gathered for the rally, whether they believed that the arrest was the result of the U.S. government sanctioning Tornado Cash. And so this arrest was effectively made you know, on behalf of the U.S. Uh, law enforcement by the Dutch authorities. Yeah, it seems hard to imagine that there's no link between these two things happening. I mean, this software has been around for a while. Some of the allegations are already quite old, but it all happened within the space of a few days. You know, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to put two and two together and say, you know, there's some kind of link between these two things. What I think people that I spoke to in Amsterdam want is to make sure he has a fair trial. If it does come to trial, that he's treated fairly. And also that some of the principles that really underpin and the Web3 community are upheld in this process, because ultimately what he was trying to do what many people use Tornado Cash for is to enable privacy. And that's something people treat really seriously, very understandably. So they don't want to see this kind of heavy handed action by the authorities. There is a, a line of legal thought that says when you write code, that is free speech and that should be protected. That's already established in the US. It's not quite the same rules in Europe, but still, it's supposed to be a democracy. It's supposed to have freedom of speech. People are really worried that's been thrown up in the air. So people want to see a fair trial, but they also don't want these kind of fundamental rights to get thrown under the bus while the authorities are pursuing this case. And I think we can be pretty sure that this isn't just a coincidence that he was arrested days after. It's, it's worth noting that the Netherlands and the US work together in a global tax group called J5 that involves information sharing and planning crackdowns on criminal activity. Now, I don't know for sure that this case would have gone through those channels, but it would make a lot of sense. There's definitely a level of trust built up between you know the two regulatory bodies. So there's really a, definitely a clear roadmap to how this would have been set up and been waiting for action just as soon as Treasury took that move. For sure. Just to sort of widen this out a little bit, I guess people who don't really care about privacy would say something like, you know, why would you need a mixing service to disguise your identity using crypto? And aren't you necessarily a bad actor by using this? Because why would you use it? Why not just reveal your identity and be happy with it? What do you think about that, Jack? Are you sort of sympathetic to that train of thought? Yeah, I mean, of course, yeah, people have the right to privacy and a lot of crypto applications, it's so highly transparent that people don't get it. And you need to use services like this in order to ensure that, you know, someone who's paying you money doesn't get to know every detail of your financial dealings. That's fair enough. You know, I can see it from the perspective of the authorities that say, here, we've got billions and billions of dollars going into money laundering, some of which involves North Korea, geopolitical public enemy number one. You know, I can totally see why they, from their perspective, want to do something about that. But the way in which you actually deal with it isn't isn't very clear. And here you've got a service that some people are using for legitimate reasons. Some people are using for reasons that are certainly not, whatever you think of them, they're certainly not criminal. And other people using them for things that in the regular world would be considered criminal. So, you know, how do you as public authorities deal with that when you don't really have a legal framework that's targeted at all to deal with these kind of structures? 
not targeted at all to deal with the crypto universe. It's a bit stabbing in the dark. But so far, it seems that privacy is not welcomed in general. When you think about it, most people would say like, yeah, uh, what's the deal with privacy? Why do I have to be afraid that, you know, my crypto would be attributed to my name? But for example, there has been a quite a, I would say, scandalous story recently when Reuters wrote that Binance could have handled private data of its users to the Russian anti-money laundering body, which was using for people who donated to the campaign of Alexei Navalny, who is a prominent opposition leader now in prison. While there is no direct indication that Binance really did handle any of the user's data, and Binance denied that at once. But technically, it's very possible that centralized exchanges that have a huge wealth of data of their users, they can handle it to law enforcement if the law enforcement show you know, enough reason for that. And in some cases, especially in the regimes where human rights and freedom of speech are abused gravely, it might put people in danger even though they did not do anything bad and would have nothing to hide in a normal situation. In that case, the anonymity of crypto is what protecting them. That's what a lot of people who are at this demonstration are exactly worried about. I think the message you got from the US authorities is if your privacy enhancing tool also, you know, as a side issue enables money laundering, then we'd rather not have it. That seems to be the message I'm getting from OFAC. But that doesn't really deal with the problem of, well, how do you secure privacy online, which, as you say, has many applications that are totally legitimate and even sometimes beneficial. Don't we think that privacy ultimately is going to be an impossible pipe dream? I mean, you know, whatever our private thoughts about the rights and wrongs of people being able to transact anonymously online uh, whenever they want. I mean, isn't this an example of the inevitable crackdown that's going to come from these authorities where they're going to go after one bad actor and kind of sully a whole service in this case? I mean, isn't that just the way things are going to go? Well, I would stick to my apocalyptic thinking and I would say that in the future, we will have probably the two worlds, the mainstream world, which will be totally transparent, where all kind of data will be available for the decision makers, where our every step with our money or what we do on the internet or what can be recorded and, and maybe will be recorded. And there will be, you know, this contrarian space where people will be trying to maintain their privacy at whatever cost and trying to fly under radar of that surveillance system. I actually think that this, the cleavage between these two digital realities is showing even now because with the risk scoring of cryptocurrency, that analytic system for blockchain tracing using, you know, products of the companies like Chainalysis or Elliptical Crystal whatever, there's a lot of them. It's basically dividing uh, all the cryptocurrency into two pools. The green pool that will be welcome on any centralized exchange, on any regulated service. And the red pool that has some connection to high-risk sources of crypto, you know, be it crime, be it mixers, be it sanctions, whatever. And those coins will not be welcome on centralized exchanges and uh, can be frozen there, which is an interesting thought. Yeah, and we're already starting to see that fracturing happen, even beyond the issues of privacy. There are ramifications for any address that's used Tornado Cash. For example, with MakerDAO, it has a, a multi-billion dollar decentralized stablecoin that isn't so decentralized because it uses USDC as a major backing component to keep its dollar value. 
well with Circle and the consortium that issues USDC blacklisting addresses that have interacted with Tornado Cash. That puts MakerDAO's entire model at risk because now they're thinking, oh, wait, how can we have this decentralized stablecoin where some of our assets might just get frozen because of their secondary exposure to legal risk? Now, if MakerDAO decides to abandon this major component of the crypto ecosystem because of its centralization and existence in, you could say, Anna's one clearly regulated camp, then that's just right there, a huge breaking and uh, accelerant to creating these two worlds, one of the black market, if you will, and the other that's in the eyes of the governments, uh, highly regulated and highly watched. I just think this is a bit of a pipe dream. Though. I think this idea that there's going to be sort of one clean world and one sort of dirty world. I think, you know, I think the dirty world's going to be much, much smaller than the clean world. Well, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And if you listen to FATF, who's the, the main international anti-money laundering body, I mean, they've been saying for the last six years that we want crypto exchanges, crypto intermediaries to be behaving and reporting in exactly the same way as any other financial intermediary. So this idea that crypto is going to have a sort of special license for anonymity and privacy, I think is just crazy. But it will have a little world within it, I think, for sure. That's how economies have always worked. You always have this underground market, if you will. You certainly do in cash and in the banking system where, you know, they haven't got rid of money laundering completely. Otherwise, crime would be a lot less profitable. The space for privacy will absolutely be shrinking in the month and years to see. Privacy will be more and more costly, will be more and more difficult. Sanctions and blacklisting in crypto will be so tricky and there will be so much collateral damage. Or maybe you want to come up with some more detailed approach to that. Or it just means that, you know, we all are screwed and privacy will be, if not dead very soon, but a very, very hard thing to get. And a, a good note to end on just now, actually, a representative in U.S. Congress has sent a letter to the Treasury Secretary in the U.S. making issues of the sanctioning of Tornado Cash on the grounds that it violates freedom of speech issues with regards to putting code out on the internet. So there is a fight ahead. And the anti-privacy forces are definitely stronger, but there are pockets of dissent, even in governments that are at least pushing publicly for something else. So it's a fight that is coming for sure. Who was that? Was that a Republican? Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was a crypto. It was a guy who just talks about crypto all the time, so I wouldn't put too much credence into it. But <laughs> it is a sign that there's some politicians will at least make noise around these issues. So fight's not over yet. It's good to hear that ray of optimism out there. At least there's one, sir. Right, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just one person so far. It's not... It always starts with one. <laughs> so just quickly, Jack, let's wrap this up. What are the kind of next steps in your reporting here? What are you looking for? So we've got a second hearing in this guy's case. We'll be held behind closed doors on Wednesday, 24th of August. And then, you know, hopefully we'll get to know exactly what's going on here fairly soon. And the challenge for the crypto community is you might have judges set to rule on stuff that they just don't understand. Your average judge probably doesn't know what a DAO is, maybe doesn't even know what open source coding is or why people do it. <laughs> so there's going to be a real mission ahead to explain that and to make sure that they take account of how Web3 works when they decide what to do in this case. Well, let's hope they can get their heads around it. Let's educate them so they can blacklist us better. <laughs> Perfect. All right. On that hopeful note, that was Jack Schickler, 
And that was Danny Nelson. That was Anna Bedekova. And I'm Ben Schiller. And we've been talking about a very important case, Tornado Cash sanctioning case. We'll be following closely in the months ahead. And thanks very much to you all for coming on. Thank you. Stay safe and private. Only use cash and live under a rock. That's how you survive. (laughs) Thanks, Danny. I'm only here to help. See you next week. Coindesk is calling all visionaries in the digital economy to present at its newest event, Ideas. Ideas is the place for you to present your market opportunity in front of leading investors poised to help you get your idea off the ground. Apply to become a presenter at Ideas 2022 at Coindesk today. Visit coindesk.com slash ideas for more information. You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Batakova, and Danny Nelson. This episode has been produced and edited by Eleanor Paul with announcements by Michelle Mousseau. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, Opinionated. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.